there was this song that this guy wrote uh, a number of years ago, and I loved it. He had this one line that says, God, it was basically a prayer. It's like, God, would you disturb the comfortable in us? And I was like, wow, that's so true, especially for us in the West. We need to be disturbed. We need our, our comfortable uh, little boxes to be disturbed. And we can pray those prayers, but then when God actually disturbs you, disrupts you, you're like, I don't know if I like this. I remember this one time in Kuala Lumpur where God disturbed me. He disrupted my comfortable box. So my brother and I spent two months in Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur. It was kind of crazy. These two farm boys, right, from Saskatchewan, we ended up living in this apartment in Kuala Lumpur, this huge city. I remember getting on trains there. It's kind of a weird experience because I'm six foot and I could in these trays, looked down the whole train because I was at least a foot taller than everyone. Anyway, you get kind of used to this. And so we were there helping a church uh, during kind of this season where that church has gone through just some real discouragement. And, and so Mike had sent us there to come and support the young people and the youth. And it was just amazing. But it was also tiring. And so I remember finishing a Sunday and Mondays was our day off. And so we're like, let's just go into town and get a coffee. Like, let's just find a nice coffee shop. So we headed out of the suburbs into downtown Kuala Lumpur. And I remember just being in that mode. I don't know if you've experienced it where you're just like, I don't want to have to do anything for anyone else. I just want to be selfish. I just want to get my coffee. I just want to do, I just want to be in my own little bubble. I want my nice comfortable box right now. And so we start walking down the street and we hit this section in Kuala Lumpur where there's a lot of beggars. And walking past one block, another block in the line up along the street there. And I remember turning to Joel, I don't know which one of us said it, I, and, I, and we, one of us just said, I, I can't do this, I can't ignore this. And it was a moment of the Holy Spirit disrupting and disturbing my comfortable little box. And so what we did is we said like, let's just go get water and food and let's just sit down in the dirt and the muck of the street and just be with these people. Um, we can't just throw money at this, you know, as a guilt offering. I just walk by. Um, and so remember sitting down and just giving them a hug, giving them water. And that was a powerful moment where everything in me didn't want to do that. I didn't want to turn outward. Um, yet the Holy Spirit disrupted me. And I think this story points to both our natural tendency to choose the comfortable, but actually that this is is the very place where the Holy Spirit wants to work. And in the place, if we would allow, in the place of disruption, can actually be the place where something powerful happens. So I want to turn now back to that passage that we just read, Acts 19. And so, just a a few things I I want you to see. So, in their moment of being scattered, they end up in this area of Antioch. And it says that they start speaking the word, and there's this little line, to no one except the Jews. Isn't that interesting? That in our moment of disruption, often what we want to do is we want to go back to what we know. So, what did they know? It's like they knew that... Oh, we just shared this message with people who are like us. 
And Lawrence is going to speak more to this on, when he speaks on mission. But I wanted to kind of highlight this. Okay, but then it, it says, but in verse 20, but there were some of the men from Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord. And this is actually where we see the Holy Spirit rests on this. They make this shift. They're like, we're going to start sharing this message with the Greeks. This is a pivotal moment for the church, right? Where it's like, okay, this message, our message is also for the, like the pagan. So here in Antioch, we have a community of believers that is united around the gospel. Jews and Gentiles. This is powerful, right? That they're united around the gospel, not on them being like each other, right? They're very different. And for me, this is really exciting to see um, that a place of community is formed in the disruption as they begin to engage with the Greeks and move outside their boxes of comfort. So here's a question I want you to think about as we move through this. Here's our question. How do we build and engage in community? How do we build and engage in community? So naturally, right, naturally we are drawn to connect and build with people who have shared interests, right? Because it's easy to, to connect that way. Uh, for us to feel a sense of belonging while not having to be vulnerable. This is the key. If I can feel like I belong and I don't have to be vulnerable, that's what we choose, right? Because it's, it's comfortable. So let's just take this. It's kind of a silly illustration, but I'll just take this moment, uh, moment just to use it as an illustration. Think about, is, I don't know if hockey's a big thing here, but during the NHL playoffs, you'll see people wear, they start to wear their, their team's jerseys, right? And so everyone's wearing their jerseys and... If you see someone who has your team jersey, you kind of just give them a nod, right? It's like, oh yeah. Maybe here the, it would be like in Cumberland, it'd be like you pass a guy with the same bike, right? Give the, the, the nod, like, yeah, he's got the same bike. I don't know. I don't know quite what the, it is here in Cumberland. Um, but I think these points of interest are important to recognize as a starting place to connect, but when it comes to community, we can make the mistake of thinking, oh, we're going we're gonna to build people around commonality, um, and we've we got to actually avoid that temptation, to gather people just like us, right? That's actually what the, they started with. They're like, let's share the gospel with people who are just like me. So community actually has to start somewhere different. And I think we get this, but it's, it's, we've got to just see that this is the foundation. It's, it's actually about a recognition of our need of a savior. That's foundational. So the message that we're sharing is much less, uh, we're great people with our lives figured out, right? Like we can sometimes as church people do this. Essentially like the message we're projecting is like, we have our lives together. Come hang out and be with us. Um, that's not very attractive, actually. <laughs> is it? Um, because what if your life isn't together? Yeah. 
And I, I think our messages much, should be much more, we are people who also have no brokenness, also have no pain, and we know the one who is life, who is hope, who is joy. This is t- a totally different way of doing community. So attractive communities are not just ones that know how to look outwardly like they have things together. Actually, what is attractive is the authentic. And I think you guys do this really well. Sharing, the sharing of our lives with one another. But authentic is hard for us, right? Because what does it require? It requires vulnerability. And vulnerability by its nature is difficult for us as people. So when community is built around the gospel, what we're actually inviting people into should feel like a coming home. I find this amazingly exciting. It's like, man, I'm inviting you home. Sometimes we're like thinking, oh, what is, what am I inviting people into? Community that is Christ-centered, is gospel-centered, is actually an invitation to come home. Come home to the place where you can be alive. You can be fully known, fully seen. A place of experiencing grace and healing. Uh, And this is a type of community I love to be a part of. And I believe each one of you also delights in that. But I think we just have to acknowledge that this, we will naturally always bend towards what feels more comfortable, which is like, let's just create structures where we don't have to be vulnerable. Let's create, let's just talk to people who are like me. (laughs) And we have to acknowledge that we come from a, a culture that is used to being entertained, right? Brett shared a great quote from Tozer. He said, the church that can't worship must be entertained. I love that quote. So in many ways, it is much harder to be a community that allows people to see us. It's easier just to be entertained. It's easier to just present our lives being all together, right? Like I can come to church and you can ask me, how are you doing, Josh? It's a lot easier for me to say, I had a great week, it's going well, right? That's way easier to do than to actually say, this is, this is the area where I'm struggling to receive the grace of Jesus. So let me talk about a Christ-centered community. So what is a Christ-centered community? Number one, a Christ-centered community requires us to be known and to know others. Okay, why is that true? Why does a Christ-centered community require us to be known and to know others? Well, because the goal here is Maturity is to become more Christ-like, right? So the goal of Christian community is actually that I am letting you see me and I am also seeing Christ in you and that pulls me into maturity. If I can just hide away, I'm not going to mature. If you can just hide away, you're not going to mature. So Christ-centered community I think compels us and moves us into maturity. If it's comfort-centered community, or like clubs, right? There's loads of clubs. 
It's just a shared interest. Like, here's the biking club, or here's the skiing club. That doesn't call you into maturity. I'm going to read you a quote that I found. I really like this writer. He says this about Christian discipleship. Christian discipleship is not something that you can do alone. It is something that you do with others inside a community. One cannot be a disciple of Jesus and say, I'm a Christian, but I can pray just as well at home. Christian discipleship demands community. So the search for the Christian God is not just a private quest, but it is a communal endeavor. And the means, and this means that being a disciple of Jesus always demands connection with some concrete historical community, a church. Okay. So the Christian faith is a corporate faith. And I think we would all here agree with that, but corporate requires me to be known. For me to be mutually encouraged, for me to mutually encourage others requires this level of vulnerability. And the second part to this is, I would say that the work of Jesus compels us to be missional. So that we're not being missional outward into Cumberland because we feel guilty. Like, I really should be more missional. But because we feel this compelled out of like, man, I've received the goodness, the grace of Jesus. I got to share that with other people. I got to. So Lawrence will touch on that more. I want to just take a little bit of time to talk about this idea of fellowship, of koinonia. So early on in the life of the church, we, we actually have the church in the passage that says uh, they were devoted to, to fellowship. Devoted to fellowship. And there's this word there for fellowship, which is koinonia. Um, and it's interesting. I feel like we've kind of lost in our culture this idea of like what devotion is. So I have the definition there. To be devoted is strength which prevails even under pressure. You remain faithful. So persevering even when it's hard. Like I feel like we just don't have it really in our, we don't have to persevere a lot in life, right? Like it's hard, oh, I'm just, I'm gonna quit. Has anyone seen the movie Iron Will? It's this classic Disney movie, Dog Sledding One. One person is sitting. Two men. Okay, so it was Okay. So anyway, the illustration maybe not work. So I'll just describe it briefly. Anyway, there's this young man who he's racing in this dog sled race across huge tracts of land. It's a very challenging dog sled race, and there's this point in the race where he is so tired, so exhausted that. He's fallen asleep on his dog sled, so he just ties himself to his dog sled to keep going. And there's just lots of pictures and imagery in this movie of perseverance. Um, and I like that about the movie. And to persevere and devotion of connection, I'm going to persevere in saying this is vital in life. And so what we see in the early church is they said, to gather is essential. So as soon as they're disrupted, what do we see them doing? They're just right away in Antioch, they start to gather, and they start to share the word. Wow. That's incredible. So they move quickly into Koinonia. 
So what I, what I would say we need to grab a hold of is that devotion goes far beyond convenience. So if our gathering is just about this, I will come to church, I will do community when it's convenient to me. I think we're missing what it means to live in koinonia. So I truly believe that a sign of Christian maturity is displayed in our engagement in koinonia. Why is that true? Because it's actually living out the very heartbeat of what Jesus lived in his earthly ministry. Right? He came to serve and not be served. So there's a big difference between true koinonia fellowship and being part of a club. It's not just a, what am I getting? Rather, a devotion first to Christ. And from this posture saying, man, I'm coming into community to let the love of Christ flow out into this space. And that becomes powerful. So in Acts 11, 29, if you read on, it's interesting that this is a very young church and this prophet shows up and he says there's going to be a famine and a famine does come and hit the land and and his challenge to the people is to prepare to be generous. Um, and so this baby church plant in Antioch actually prepares a gift and they send it back to Judea. So they were just disrupted and then they send money back um, very early on in, in the life of the church there. Which I think is incredible. And what that shows me is actually a lot of health because I believe that uh, Christ-centered community is generous. Christ-centered community is generous. I want to talk about community in the midst of distress. And then we'll kind of tie these things together. Community in the midst of distress. So we've kind of been using this language of disruption. And I, this is true for... For the Antioch church, right? It's very easy for us to think, oh, our situation is unique. It's not. Like, throughout history, people have faced disruption and distress. Um, And it's really important, I think, that we recognize the significance of community in the moment of distress. Okay, so what is trauma? Every person experiences trauma. So trauma, by its very definition, outstrips our capacity to reason it through, to justify and therefore say it was okay. So when you have an experience, and what makes it traumatic is that you no longer, it outstrips your capacity. You're like, I I cannot reason through this. That's its very definition. So trauma is, by its definition, the subjective but real felt experience when something that we encounter intrudes in upon our lives in such a way that it outstrips our conceptual resources. It breaks our mind, so to speak. It breaks our boxes, paradigms, and our coping mechanism. And sometimes not completely, but other times it does. And we can be left in kind of the rubble. That's kind of what the experience of trauma is. Struggling to know how to put the pieces back together. To keep living and thinking in a world that keeps turning. Okay, so this is trauma that we all experience. 
And so our natural inclination is we want a box. We want to like reason through it and try to understand the world. But if you're in trauma, you can't do that. So if reason alone, like the thinking and the rethinking can't heal you, we actually need other resources. We really do. And so I, I think it'd be fair to say that the early church has experienced a level of trauma, right? It's like some people have actually been killed and this persecution is severe. They've been dragged out of their homes, ripped out of their homes, and they're in Antioch. So there's trauma that has happened, and they choose something very significant. They choose community right away. So what I want to suggest to you is that spiritual resources are imperative to do this. Sacramentally engaging our bodies and minds are so crucial because trauma affects the body. And so the, having these physical things that we do are incredibly important. And I'll probably talk about that more in another talk. But the place, this place of community is actually where the spiritual resources are nourished is vital. Okay. So think about this, in, in, a, in the moment of distress, sometimes we're like, I just want comfort, I, I just want to withdraw. And I understand sometimes we need space, but I, I think even more so, think of the state of our world, there's people that have really struggled. And I would say actually part of the answer is actually community. When, we face, when we're faced with deep trauma, rather than stepping out and away to simply process, I think we actually need to lean into spiritual community. Because if you choose to say, I, I'm not going to be in community, you actually radically reduce your tools uh, for healing at a time when you desperately need them. You actually, in, in the place of trauma, I'd say we need rhythms, need the sacraments, need encouragement, we need Jesus. And I, I think just to see, obviously we don't know all that happened, but to see that they chose this. They chose community right away. And then they also chose to, to not just be insular, like they didn't just go inward, they started sharing the gospel as well. That's, both those things are so healthy. And we can kind of do the opposite. It's like, I'm going to disengage from community and I'm just going to go inward. My experience is that we don't actually move through trauma that way. We don't. So let's turn back to our question that I asked at the beginning. How do we build and engage in community? How do we build and engage in community? So the answer to this is I think beautifully simple, but challenging. We build this kind of community, Christ-centered community, as we first of all choose to be devoted to fellowship and engage in sharing our lives. This is very simple. It's like, I'm going to be devoted to this and I'm going to share my life. I'm actually going to be vulnerable in this space. But that's beautiful, but challenging, right? So what does it look like? Let's just paint a picture of this because I think it's important for us to have a vision of community. And we've tasted of it, right? You're here probably because you've tasted of community. So Christ-centered community is attractive. 
Vulnerability and authenticity is attractive. Generosity is attractive. I often say to people like, for the unchurched person, they're not impressed by how much I read my Bible. I was like, I, was like, I read my Bible you know, two chapters a day and pray for half an hour. No one's impressed by that, right? They're like, cool, I want to come to your church. <laughs> no. But they are attracted. People are actually radically attracted. Probably the most attractive thing for someone from the, looking in from the outside is seeing believers go through trauma and seeing them walk through that in peace and in community and still having hope because they're like, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. So what is the, the most attractive thing is actually our vulnerability and ability to share and show this is how the gospel looks in the hardest places of our world. You know, to belong is a powerful desire for every person on the planet. To be seen and known and loved as you fully are, this is actually the place where you flourish. This is the place of flourishing. And I think we desire to belong, we desire to flourish, but there's some barriers to that, right? We're like, oh, I gotta be seen, I gotta be known. And so part of the invitation for each one of us is saying, we, we actually gotta model this. If we're gonna invite, if we're gonna be a community that is outward focused, then it also has to be alive here. We gotta be modeling a Christ-centered community which requires us to live this out. So let me just give you some practical steps. I like making it very practical. So it's like, when you leave today, what are you thinking about? What are we doing? So three things. How do we activate this in our lives? Here's some practical implications. Number one, be devoted to fellowship. Deeply investing in relationship. There's going to be days, there's going to be moments where you don't feel like going to church. You don't feel like going to connect group. There's something about koinonia and having rhythms where we say, this isn't about what I feel like right now. I'm devoted to fellowship. I can't tell you the number of times where I was like, I don't feel like going to this cell group or I don't feel like going to church. But I've said, you know, like this is an act of worship and an act of my maturity. And as I, you know, got ready in the morning, that start, of, that start of the worship is just getting out of bed, getting ready, getting ready to go to connect group or whatever it is. And as you do that, you find actually that rhythm in your life produces maturity and produces health. It does. So it's saying the, these, this choosing relationship must go beyond convenience must go beyond my boxes of comfort. And I am saying this is absolutely vital. Number two, we, we make relationship a priority and, and sort of this idea of saying, how does this practically look in my life, right? Because we can talk about it and say, yes, Kodnia fellowship is really important to me, but how is it translating in your life? So it's kind of like, well, have you opened your home? Have you... Engaged in hospitality. Are you in a connect group, right? So, you know, if you come to 
Father Lawrence, you're like, I'm really struggling. I don't feel known. I don't feel like anyone sees me. He might ask, like, are you in a connect group? Like, are you? He's going to ask those practical questions, right? And that's fair. So we can have the ideal, right, of what we want community to be. But we actually have to invest in the community that we're actually in. Okay, so sometimes we have this idea of, like, this is what I want my community to be like, and it's not there. Um, And I'm frustrated. But God placed you in a community and you have to say, this is the community that I'm in. Therefore, I will love it as it is. And not just the ideal of what community could be. But I love what community is now and where God has placed me now. And I will be a part of seeing that grow and flourish. Number three, we model and invite. Okay, we model and invite. So for those of us who are doing this faith walk for a while, we we actually need to make sure that we're modeling this with our lives, being real and authentic, right? Like, I have to continue this, being like, am I being authentic? Am I letting people see not just the places of strength, right? Like, I like people to perceive me as strong and having it together, but I actually have to say, am I actually showing and displaying for people the, the areas where I need his grace, I need his strength? We make it safe to share brokenness and we're inviting people into relationship. You know, the church did both this. They didn't say, you know, we've just gone through something traumatic. Let's take five years and then we'll regroup and then we'll start sharing the gospel. Isn't that interesting? Like I would have, you know, kind of thought, said that feels justified, you know, not to do anything, not to be missional at all. But right away, they're just, they start sharing the message. And I think that's a really healthy sign being like, I will both engage in community, but I will also be outward. I will also share this message. I hope that excites you. I hope you're like, wow, this is, isn't it a beautiful vision like Jesus had for the hope for the world? I think... Like Jared said, it's like it, sometimes we can see what's happening around us like, oh, this is tough. Church is tough. But do you know there wasn't any other plan? Like Jesus doesn't have any other plan for his kingdom coming on earth. So if you want to be a part of his kingdom coming, then you got to be a part of his church. That is his plan. His kingdom is coming and will advance and it's coming through the vehicle of this church, the vehicle of us. So let me just pray for us. Uh, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the healing in community. I thank you for the beauty of community. I thank you for everyone here. Um, I thank you for the way in which you are disturbing us You disturb and disrupt our boxes. (laughs) And would you help us, Father, to be devoted to Koinonia Fellowship and to live with hope to be able to see the beauty of this, the beauty of community that is centered around you. Thank you, Father. Would you just release a grace over us, Jesus, to do this well? 
to do this well. Jesus, we want to display you as your church. We want to display you.